The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Oh, man. That was exhausting. Remember when we predicted how many trades there are going to be and I said eight and you prices righted me with nine? Uh, you won. What was the final total? Well, so it was 12 before today. So I would count it as 24. Oh, baby. Wow. That's that's pretty incredible. I mean, and- there were there were. So here's what I would say. My original thought of nine was also like because I thought there were going to be some small some of those small trades. We ended up getting more than nine substantive like big deal trades. And then, of course, there were the, you know, the Malachi Richardson, Greg Monroe type deals as well, of course. Yeah, I did at least best you on the least likely teams to make a trade where three of your five, Boston, Phoenix, and Detroit made trades and only Milwaukee of my teams did. Although perhaps I should get a double demerit because Milwaukee actually made, well, I guess it ended up being technically one trade. Well, I uh, would say the demerit is because they made by far the biggest of those trades, but Phoenix is similar. I mean, Tyler Johnson was, was a significant deal though. We talked about that previously. Yeah. So, I, I think so, yeah, let's start ahead, in Milwaukee. I, th- I think uh, that's to me is the most important trade of is it no no Gasol I mean I mean Gasol's got to be more important he's like a bigger name I, I think he's probably gonna start I don't think Miritich is gonna start I would say Gasol is bigger well even that if, that's the yeah. reason Marcus Gasol might be more important is to get into those conversations so I'll, I'll give it the name the podcast bears your name which which do you want to start with uh, well, you got to pick yesterday. I think we should start w- with Gasol because that uh, then also ties in w- with some of the other stuff that the Grizzlies did as well. Um, but let's start by looking at this from Toronto's perspective first. The deal, Gasol going from Memphis to Toronto, Gasol making $24.1 million. We'll see how much of his $1.28 million trade bonus ends up getting paid out. That will count against the Toronto luxury tax, but would be paid in actual money money by the Grizzlies and going back CJ Miles making 8.3 this year and 8.7 next year that's kind of an under discussed part of this trade probably is that Miles was looking like pretty bad salary for next year with that 8.7 million dollar player option so that's some value to Toronto there. Jonas Valanciunas, also not amazing salary for next year. I mean, a, a solid player, but probably one who wouldn't make that $17.6 million player option for next year. And then the real big reason for this trade to be done for the Grizz is Dillon Wright, who will be a restricted free agent this offseason, making only $2.5 million this year. And Wright will be 27 this offseason. Remember, he was 23 when he was drafted, but could be a potential point guard of the future for Memphis, assuming Mike Conley eventually gets moved at some point, obviously did not get moved at this trade deadline. So with those parameters, I think probably where we start here is just on court, how Gasol is going to fit in with this group in Toronto as they now with all, also 
having moved Greg Monroe and a second rounder to save some luxury tax cash to Brooklyn have 10 players on the roster at this point. So they're obviously going to add to that. This is a very big human challenge for Nick Nurse and Marcus Gasol because Marcus Gasol can be a significantly positive force for the Toronto Raptors when used properly and not overused. However, there is a lot of downside risk here because against most teams, the Philadelphia 76ers being a notable exclusion to this, and is their best lineup involves Serge Ibaka at center. And that would, of course, mean no Marcus Gasol. That means, you know, Ibaka and Siakam starting and then Kawhi, Danny Green, and and Kyle Lowry. Well, well, so some people may disagree with you there. Why do you believe that their best lineup, and I happen to agree with you, but we should probably elaborate on that and why we think their best lineup is Ibaka at center rather than Gasol at center. It gives them more versatility on defense. I think that Ibaka's his movement fits better with what Siakam can do. You know, you can can be a more aggressive aggressive style. Marcus Gasol sort of paralleling Brook Lopez. When you have him on the floor, you have to play a more specific approach. And Toronto has better personnel, I think, for something other than you know a drop back or if you have him just kind of there reacting to things. And Gasol also one of his best attributes is as a a post defender. And Toronto can attack post options other ways. They can send doubles. They can try to ball deny all you know those sorts of elements. And then offensively, you know, Marcus Olkin hit threes, of course, he, he has added that part of his game. But Serge Ibaka's mid-ranger, and th- I just like, I like his fit better with the offense as well. Yeah, I think it's very interesting to think of whether Ibaka or Gasol is the better offensive option. I'm inclined to think it's probably Gasol because he's a guy who can post up a little bit better off of a switch if teams try to do that. Let's say he runs a pick and roll with Kawhi Leonard. Obviously, a much better passer than Ibaka. I mean, the decision making to me is a huge aspect to that. Ibaka is a better mid-range shooter. Gasol probably a better three-point shooter where Ibaka's really struggled this year. Although I think he'll get that back. He been more effective as a three-point shooter before but uh so you you can make an argument that uh Ibaka is maybe a little bit better in pick and roll than Gasol but if you want to run some stuff like at the elbows Gasol is going to be a more effective screener so I think I would probably put Ibaka or Ibaka a little bit behind Gasol I think a lot of it depends uh, on the matchup as well you know I think if you're going up against the Sixers Ibaka is probably the better option offensively uh but then defensively again a lot depends on the matchup I think against the Sixers in particular having Gasol a wonderful post defender against Embiid is really important where Ibaka is undersized as a traditional center uh you know it doesn't matter against a lot of teams but it does matter against the Sixers we saw Embiid really bludgeon the Raptors uh, just recently on Tuesday night but then I think Ibaka is a much better than Gasol in areas other than post defense so I think it really is all going to be matchup based and so will Gasol and Ibaka be okay with the same sort of arrangement that Nurse had with Valanciunas starting every once in a while but most of the time it being Ibaka because it doesn't make any sense really to play Ibaka and Gasol together to me especially when they have Pascal Siakam there I mean you have a power forward who is go- is going to be marginalized if you're going to those lineups unless it's you know a change of pace or you know those sorts of circumstances so we're in agreement there i i, I want to turn to a couple other 
parts of this that I think are going to be underappreciated. And the first one will be a quick just drop in, in listeners' minds, which is this. I think another loser of this trade is DeLon Wright for a specific reason. And that is when DeLon Wright was on the Toronto Raptors, I'm guessing, though their structure is going to be different, that teams with Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet might have been more aggressive thinking, hey, we can pry this guy away if we make an offer that's big enough. And with Memphis, considering the uncertainty with Mike Conley and their lack of other options at the position outside of Mike Conley, that teams might be sitting there and just get a little bit scared off now saying, Memphis is going to match. Why are we going to waste our time with this? And so that might lead to a lighter offer sheet for DeLon Wright, though he could just agree to something with Memphis and maybe Memphis is going to be so excited about bringing him back that they just pay him beforehand, kind of like Myers Leonard, Yusuf, I, I think, no, Nurkic was a little bit of a different conversation, but like those sorts of guys, like sometimes when you acquire a guy right before restricted free agency, you end up just paying him yourselves anyway. Yeah, you would imagine that uh, that'd be the case uh, for Memphis. I mean, what do you think about just the asset game here with this trade? I mean, that 2024 second rounder that goes from Toronto to Memphis is not too sexy. There had been talk of the exact trade that we were talking about on the mock trade deadline with Charlotte, a first rounder, but having to take back Biombo and MKG. The salary that Memphis is taking back is pretty similar here, but with guys who can actually play a little bit in Miles and Valanciunas as opposed to MKG, who, you know, is uh, he's probably about the same as Miles, I would say, although paid more. And then obviously Biombo is nearly totally dead salary. So would you have rather had that Charlotte first rounder or right, assuming that that Charlotte first rounder had some sort of production we talked about how difficult it would be to determine that production yesterday with charlotte potentially missing the playoffs but then also potentially being really bad next year if kemba leaves i probably would rather had that charlotte first runner than right but maybe that wasn't there and maybe there was also a component here of sending gasol somewhere he wanted to be instead of to charlotte both of those sound like genuine considerations i think i've heard murmurs of of each of them and doing right by marcus all is is i mean he's been a, a cornerstone of that franchise now for such a long time i can see that and also the haggling with Charlotte would have been a pain. I will note that for me, considering where I think Memphis is going to be next year, the difference in quality between Valanciunas and Biombo doesn't matter as much. It does, it, you know, Memphis, who knows, maybe you have a better year and all that kind of stuff. But it's, you know, the, he is better, obviously. Valanciunas is better than the, the filler salary they would have gotten. I also don't think that Valanciunas' contract is good enough that, like, they can get an asset. I don't think they can flip Valanciunas if he's not a part of their plans. I am also concerned that Valanciunas is good enough that they might, it might be Jaron Jackson Jr.'s destiny to keep playing power forward, which he did at Michigan State, and he has a lot of this year, which would be unfortunate because I think his long-term position is center. Though, I mean, if it, he, he'll still have plenty of time to play center later in his career. So that's something. But then the, the other part of this that I want, I was alluding to before when I said I had two things is we don't know for sure, but I think this might end up being a really savvy financial move from Masai Ujiri. And what I mean there is CJ Miles is, there are three player options involved in this deal. CJ Miles is a virtual lock to pick up his his part of it. And it's 8 million, that's negative value, but he, that's why he's the most likely to pick it up. Valanciunas, I expect to pick it up as well, especially now that he's an opportunity where he should be able to play. And Marc Gasol is the most questionable. Now, Marc Gasol could opt out and leave. That is certainly a possibility. But Toronto, one of the theories of where this is going for them is that if Kawhi Leonard decides to go elsewhere, that they can pivot really quickly. They still have Pascal Siakam. They still have OG Ananobi. Kyle Lowry, Serge Ibaka will be on the roster. They could either trade those guys or whatever they're going to do. So there's a possibility that they become a cap space team next year. And 
maybe they could move Marcus all if he ends up opting in and, and Kawhi leaves and they don't really have a purpose for him. I think his salary is, even though it's higher than Valanciunas, is more movable because of his reputation around the league. Yeah, and we'll see whether, in fact, Gasol decides to opt in or not. Part of that may even be reading the tea leaves on Kawhi. He has to make that decision, of course, uh, by June 29th. So he won't know for sure what ends up happening. So I, I, you know, I don't think that this move changes the Raptors' destiny that much. I also am worried about their depth now at both point guard and center. Van Vliet, Lowry, those guys are not the healthiest dudes in the world. Van Vliet's injury last year was a, a big problem for the Raptors in the playoffs. They moved on from Monroe as well, basically for saving. So we'll see if they can get something on the buyout market and at center and point guard and also this really means the end of any thought that the raptors are going to play fast to me you know Wright was a, a guy who could get out on the fast break on their second unit gasol is going to play slow i mean memphis has been basically the slowest paced team in the league for much of his tenure there Leonard is not really that fast of a player either. He likes to really kind of work to his spots. So that'll be interesting. I mean, but they are taking away, I think, something from the transition game here. And we'll see, uh, this is going to be a common refrain because there are a lot of guys who are going to get bought out and we'll see who ends up getting them. And Toronto does have the full taxpayer MLE with which to work, I believe. Whether they will use it uh, with their tax concerns is another question. But I mean, I, I, I think this is a good move for Toronto pretty clearly, especially to clear the salary for next year i think that's a, an underrated part of this whether gasol opts in or opts out whether Kawhi comes back or not you mentioned the flexibility if Kawhi does come back they are going to be deep into the tax and so being able to clear things out a little bit but I, I do think their depth could be a concern now with this toronto team if they run into any kind of injuries and you know you would imagine that more likely than not at least one rotation player is going to be injured that's just how it works a, a lot of times when you get to the playoffs this is also good news for norman powell who you know his eclipsing cj miles in the rotation helped make this move possible as well and that maybe the reps can help to rebuild it, his value too but powell now is clearly going to be in the rotation throughout um let's turn to memphis now the other kind of downside of this for Memphis, to me, it seemed like the move they made with the Clippers, which was Jamichael Green and Garrett Temple, who made about $16 million combined for Avery Bradley, who makes $12 million this year, that, that part of that was to facilitate this three-for-one trade and to get Memphis enough room under the tax. They started out, I think, 292000 below the tax. They finish it between five and 700000 below the tax. I haven't done the exact math on that yet but they would have been over had they not been able to cut four million in that temple and green for bradley deal but i mean they basically got nothing for those guys other than four million in savings on this year's against this year's tax it, it seems like to me because i think bradley other than maybe his stealth tank characteristics although you could also see him getting bought out this year doesn't really have much value he's non-guaranteed for next year but with the new rules on non-guarantees you, know, well, you can't use him to i, take I will amend that Avery Bradley has a partial guarantee for two million next year. It's not a it's a light partial guarantee, not a non guarantee, and that difference is really important for the Clippers. We'll yeah, get to that yeah. in a little bit. But you I mean, so if it was a constraint, and it certainly could have been that Memphis needed to stay under the cap considering how awful they are this year, that is an additional cost of this trade that they and some of it might be that other teams weren't as interested in Jamichael Green and Garrett Temple as they should have been. That's a, a refrain that we'll hear particularly in when we talk about Atlanta's deadline. That's possible too. 
that they just didn't have the avenues there that they could or should have. But yeah, I mean, they lost, they really lost out there and they saved a bunch of money for this year, but they did add 2 million for next year, or they might end up keeping Avery Bradley. He's one of those players with lingering, you know, lingering goodwill that pro- that is unwarranted. I mean, we saw that with how much Doc Rivers played him. So it's different with J.B. Bakerstaff. He doesn't have a history with Avery Bradley like Doc Rivers does, but that is a corresponding move here that didn't really produce much value for the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, it's interesting. Do you think this was a missed opportunity for some other teams to get Green and Temple? We'll see where Philly goes in the buyout market, but maybe uh, and maybe Memphis just wasn't interested in Markel Fultz. And they got right, but you know, right and Fultz could play together. I mean, they're really an asset accumulation mode at this point. But maybe Fultz for Temple and Green, and maybe a little salary filler could have accomplished the same thing as far as facilitating the Gasol trade, reducing salary for Memphis, and maybe a Memphis second instead of that protected first that becomes two seconds or two Memphis seconds could have gotten them there. Again, this assumes that Memphis was interested in Fultz. I think they should have been. Um, that that would have been interesting, and we'll see again where Philly ends up in the buyout market. One of their prime targets, Wes Matthews, already is going to be headed to Indiana. We can pivot now to the Clippers finish up their time here at the trade deadline. Big winners overall. We'll get to our winners and losers later. But I mean, to get two guys who can play basically for a guy who was really hurting them in Bradley is pretty good. Maybe they don't want two guys who can play because this could help them make the playoffs again now after the Harris trade. We'll see whether that's going to occur or not. But and then the Clips also managed to somehow flip Mike Muscala, who I thought is like, you know, a fringe rotation player at best, to the Lakers for Mike Beasley, who's going to get waived. Clippers are also going to waive Milos Teodosic and Marcin Gortat. And then got Ivica Zubac as well for Muscala. I mean, that is, I mean, Zubac is an asset. He's uh, someone who might even be like a starting center for the Clippers next year because he's got a really low cap hold as a restricted free agent. He had been starting for the Lakers. I think he's better than Muscala right now. I mean, the Lakers kind of wanted a stretch option at center, but Muscala is a, a defensive liability to be sure. I don't understand this at all from the Lakers standpoint, other than opening the Carmelo Anthony roster spot, but they could have just waived someone anyway if they wanted to do that. Like they got plenty of money. They could have waived Michael goddamn Beasley, like the same guy who functionally got cut in this deal. I mean, this is a couple of infuriating things for me with with the Lakers in, in combined with the Bullock move, which, you know, I, I like the Bullock move better, but A, it is an, a misunderstanding of like how their roster was built. They gave up a player of value who had a low cap hold. They could have they could have kept Zubac, and if they were signing somebody, traded for somebody, whatever. Like he he was a nice flexible piece for them. Maybe if you have to re-sign him, that cuts into your 2020 cap space. That might be a story for later on. But the other just just massive frustration here is over the offseason, after they signed LeBron James on was that the fourth of July? Yeah, they no, no, ex- no, July first. July first. July first. They explicitly did not go after shooting they got guys like lance stevenson they got rajon rondo they got well beasley's a different type of guy but yeah, i mean he's not really a shooter though he's really more yeah. a, of a score by the right. way beasley i mean yeah he had a little friction with luke walton apparently but like he's better than carmelo anthony who they're probably gonna sign now uh and yeah i mean it never like that signing just never made sense i mean they never needed more just like you know microwave scoring types with lebron and 
Kuzma and Ingram already on this team and that just it, it made, that was a sign that made no sense he contributed almost nothing and they spent three million on him and now I mean I don't know if they just uh, this still makes no sense to me that, like I they, guess they Muscala. also could have gotten Muscala in the summer I mean he was an uh, was an available option I mean the, he, he basically got dumped in the from Atlanta in that TLC trade like and yeah we possibly. all knew I mean, but, but he's not any good I mean, yeah, actually, yeah exactly they could have yeah. gotten anybody else and we all knew that LeBron does well when he plays with shooting like the some of those lineups that Cleveland threw out there with Channing Frye and a bunch of shooting you rely on LeBron is greater and there was this whole misadventure of oh we want to take LeBron off ball we want to give him this no like that that was never going to make sense and so here they get a player who is a better fit than Michael Beasley damning with fame praise and gave up a talented player Zubac granted big men are overrated by PER and all that kind of stuff I'm putting in all those caveats 63 true shooting 20 PER this year there is an argument that at moments this year he has been their best center had team control and if he gets too big an offer sheet they could have just let him go the there is a big loss here from their perspective yeah so the clippers you mentioned this that they get off of avery bradley's two million for next year they now sit at 56 million in cap space a move of danilo gallinari who is probably a positive value on his contract at this point could easily get them to double max space should they so require it and i mean they're not dead yet in the playoff race i think they would probably rather keep their pick frankly than just get steamrolled by the warriors in the first round i could see them being more competitive if they can avoid being the eighth seed but it looks like that's what their destiny would be if they do make it so ramona shelburne had a great note that this is the first lakers clippers trade since the norm nixon for byron scott who was then the number four overall pick in 1983 trade um that one worked out pretty well for the Lakers. Where should we go next year? You want to get to the Miritich trade? I do. So... Well, here, actually, no, sorry. Let's do a read. Let's do a read. Yeah, okay. <laughs> We're never getting there. We may never get to Miritich, but you can get right to your Valentine's heart with Sherry's Berries, signature dipped Valentine's strawberries, dipped in milk, dark, or white chocolate for any discerning palate. Started getting these for... The woman who is then my girlfriend and then became my fiance and now is my wife. And so if you get them for someone, she will be guaranteed to become your wife as well. Well, for some people, that might not necessarily be a selling point. But overall, you'll make your Valentine's happy with Sherry's Berries. These are the perfect companion to a candlelit dinner, a bouquet of flowers. Incidentally, you can get one of those from Sherry's Berries as well. You can start at just $19.99 plus shipping and handling for the berries. Another $19.99 for a dozen red roses for Valentine's Day. They always arrive fresh with a 100% Sherry's Berries guarantee. They ship anywhere nationally. And those red roses carry no additional shipping charge when you get them with your Sherry's Berries. Go to berries.com, B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com. Click on that microphone, enter my cap space code at checkout. Easy River, we talk about cap space eh, maybe once in a while on the show that's b-e-r-r-i-e-s.com enter that cap space code and let them know that you came from us all right finally what are the parameters uh, on this one here as milwaukee folded this miritich deal into the previous trade with stanley johnson and Thonmaker? that was a very prudent component because that allowed stanley johnson to be aggregated because the first trade was never consummated so the timing restriction never happened so the deal stanley johnson can get aggregated and we just can't get aggregated no matter what we try to do i'm really jealous i'm really jealous of stanley right now so the trade from Milwaukee's perspective is Jason Smith, Stanley Johnson, slash Thonmaker, and four second round picks. 
Two of those could be strong. Washington's 2020 and 21 seconds. And two should be weak. Denver's 2019 and Milwaukee's own 2020. Those two will probably be weak. And in, in, for all that, they get Nikola Mirotic. They get a, a player who, when, when healthy, when available, is dynamic, is a wonderful fit for the idea of putting floor spacing around Giannis, paralleling in some ways what Brook Lopez has done there. Mirotic is more feisty defensively, I, th- I think, than a lot of Euros get that unfair reputation of just like being sieves or whatever else like that. You know, yeah, I don't think good, he's a good help guy. I think yeah, he, he's, he's not a huge plus. Any, any defensive glass he can help too so so you and that has been at other times a weakness for the milwaukee bucks not as much this year due to the structure of the shots and we've talked about that before so miritich being added to their mix is really fascinating because the Bucks have a lot of options now. Like, I'm not exactly sure, you know, what their, you know, what their end game is with their best five, but just getting another capable player who doesn't have any weight beyond this year and makes them a better team, gives them more options, and somebody that Budenholzer should be very comfortable using, even though he's never played for Budenholzer before. Yeah, Miritich has been absolutely bombing this year. We'll see whether his 40% three-point shooting holds up. Also, really concerning that he's been as injured as he has been i mean i think he's no lock to be healthy for the playoffs when we've seen this calf injury multiple ankle injuries i mean he's played like half the year if that so that's definitely a concern for milwaukee but he does fit right in the question is you know is he gonna play power forward is he gonna play small forward you know he has played some small forward in his career with Giannis handling the ball you know offensively Giannis isn't necessarily a power player and mirror will space so I, i think it works great on offense on defense, you know, I don't know if you want Giannis or Mirotic guarding threes. I mean, neither of those guys can really get through screens. They may be able to switch more on the perimeter, but you want to keep Giannis a little bit closer to the basket. So we'll see how that works. There may be some matchups where it doesn't work quite as well. They do have a little more size, at least now. So if you're worried about bigger threes, I mean, I don't know if Mirotic guarding Kawhi Leonard is necessarily going to work, but maybe you could say you could try and put Giannis on Kawhi and especially late in games, then Mirotic can still be a guy who is more of a help defender with his size not a perfect fit though defensively to me but certainly i think an upgrade on ursine Ilyasova. there'll be times when he can play over tj wilson as well there'll be times when he could play over Connaughton or sterling brown remains to be seen whether he'll be in the closing lineup or not but this is a pretty good deal and worth remembering that those washington second round picks that basically facilitated this deal came from just taking on money jason smith and joni meeks this year so good bit of work by the bucks to use the space that they had below the luxury tax use trade exceptions pick up those guys and then get these second round picks so they could take on miritich stanley johnson you know we i was slightly enthused about them having him as a potential defensive matchup but miritich is just so much better of a player that you know this is kind of a no-brainer for new orleans they'll get a look at johnson here uh, assuming he sticks they get the two two second rounders and they also don't have to take on salary beyond next year i'd be interested to know what else was out there for Mirotic. you would have thought that maybe a team like portland would have been interested in trading for Mirotic, but that would have been titled or, or entailed taking back maybe a myers leonard for next year and i think the two second rounders then you know those other two second rounders that are not gonna be great second rounders are still something uh the four second rounders in total and not having to take back salary would trump a first and say myers leonard from portland so if the that was out there which i haven't heard that necessarily but there had been reporting that portland was willing to move a first rounder in the right deal i think i would have rather had this pack 
package were I New Orleans. Do you agree with that? I do, especially because the Wizards could end up being pretty rough then. And while I prefer first rounders to early seconds by a meaningful degree because of the rookie scale, and you know you get the years even though they've raised the rookie scale, that's a pretty a pretty favorable contract where second rounders, you know, the leverage things things can shift around a little bit. Yeah. Well, second rounders, if they work out, you're in much better shape in restricted free agency. True. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on what structure you get on the first deal. And the other team that I thought was a a potential Mirtich destination, they talked about him at the deadline, is Utah. And I think part of of it for Utah might have been that they weren't willing to give up the assets. But another just consideration that I'm sure Utah has been dealing with is that they don't have a ton of like filler, true filler salary, you know, guys that you can throw in that don't really rock the boat too much they've already made moves involving some of those guys before so like it would have been something like maybe Tabo and Udo for you know with a pick or something like that and you know maybe they're more reluctant to do that I, I don't know how they're feeling about Cephalosia right now and it's very possible that they just weren't as amenable to the terms that New Orleans wanted maybe they valued that now New Orleans is in the Washington Wizards shorting business because they now have three Wizards second round picks in future years they picked up that I believe was 2024 second in the Markeith Morris West Johnson trade that we talked about yesterday that's a good business to be in i would expect right (laughs) now so kudos to dell demps and the pelicans for doing that one other thing i wanted to mention with mirage you brought this up briefly but i want to i want to make it a bigger point is that i think the most intriguing potential value for nicola mirage is as the best option at the other big spot quote-unquote big spot if they want to play Giannis at center should yes brooke lopez not work out you know there we there are different theories about whether the dropback system will work what you're conceding and all that now you have an option who is a more all-around player a much better player in my opinion than arisani Ilyasova, who also provides floor spacing so you have a, a a break glass in case of emergency you have a fallback option here and they didn't really before i mean maybe that was dj wilson and so while toronto made a got a big for optionality against joel Embiid, i like that milwaukee went small and some matchups that'll work some it won't and so that flexibility could end up being really useful for them and probably because he's a four rather than a three miritich doesn't get some of the value of the positional scarcity but i think that his skill set does have some scarcity and that's why he may have been underrated around the league a little bit this deadline yeah and he can also bomb it from really deep too you know he's got that ryan anderson eric gordon type of range another thing actually i I mentioned on the pod that milwaukee just wasn't going to switch uh i will take that back actually Uh, ben thompson from bucks twitter noted that in a couple of games which i didn't see they actually did switch it to some effectiveness most notably the charlotte game so interesting to go back and watch that once all this trade deadline stuff settles in here i mean i think when we get to the winners and losers we'll kind of talk about the deals that didn't get made uh but where do you want to go next here should we talk houston yeah i i you know we could basically to me the two paths are houston or markel fultz and let's go with houston this is a story that you and i have been beating on i will write a piece for the athletic on this too because it needs to be a bigger story that all of the bluster of oh we're gonna be competitive and we're gonna we're, you know we're gonna spend money and all that stuff from tillman Fertitta after he bought the houston rockets it, it might not be a complete sham because we'll see if they end up using some of the resources to go into the tax this year but it is pretty damn close to a complete sham if not the full thing because they did not resign trevor reza who signed a one-year deal in phoenix and is now bouncing is now now in the purgatory of the wizards but they made all of these little machinations giving up picks along the way and giving up players of of import for the ability to get underneath the tax either in whole or in part for this year and likely moving forward 
let's talk first uh, about what they did they sent a second round pick to the pacers in separate deals likely they sent stauskas and wade baldwin both of those guys on minimum contracts to the pacers the pacers probably just got one immediately waved one got one immediately waved the other to make the do math they, work do they have that. to do separate trade calls because i bet the league would be kind of pissed off if they do <laughs> uh I, I don't know the answer to that so that gets houston out of the tax in addition to a move in which they traded james ennis who cost more against the tax this year because he was actually on a two-year minimum contract with a player option for next year he actually got sent to philly which i think he can help philly to some degree and he's also really cheap for next year which will help philly as well i mean ennis had disappointed this year he'd had a lot of hamstring issues wasn't shooting it as well as i had hoped had struggled to drive to the basket and finish with his decline athleticism but still was a player who potentially could have helped them in the playoffs and we'll see who they end up getting on the buyout market but you know they just dumped him for nothing basically uh you know that's that is an anti-competitive move obviously giving up a second to dump stouts and there and baldwin as well whom they had to take on because otherwise the Cavs would have been in the tax with the move yesterday to acquire Mont Schumpert. The thing about this, so people are like, oh yeah, you know, they're they're so close to the tax. Why don't they just avoid it? You know, and yeah, okay, I, I get that. But number one, how did they get to be so close to the tax? And then think of the opportunity cost of the assets that they gave up. You know, they basically spent all of their $5 million in cash. Well, that's certainly something that could have bought a second-round pick. And the full roster of moves that they made, I'm going to try and do them now off the top of my head, but, you know, they got worse on the court this year, I think, by moving Ryan Anderson for Knight. Anderson, obviously, is disappointed. It hasn't played in Phoenix, but maybe he could have been better in Houston. Knight has given them nothing. They'd hoped that he could, and then he had that infection and, you know, was totally ineffective when he did play. And remember, they also gave year. up DeAnthony Melton in that trade, and we both liked yep. Melton as, as a possibility for them or for another team. Yeah, yeah that was a, a second-rounder for this year, a guy who had uh, some value, to be sure. Um, I mean, remember how hard they had to squeeze Clint Capella. That was pretty good general managership as well and then there's all of these moves as well to get out of the tax i mean they they did get and then also don't forget how much money they saved for next year as well by getting off of knights 15.6 million they had to give up a first rounder for that we talked about that in yesterday's show how what could that first rounder have gotten for them if they hadn't been so focused on getting off of Knight's salary or even if they'd been willing to take back equivalent salary for Knight for next year a player who could have helped them next year in addition to this year instead yeah you get shumpert who can help you more than Knight and more than ennis but that seems like you know a small move compared to maybe something else that could have been out there and then you know what could these seconds have gotten now they're probably not going to use you would imagine to stay under the tax their mini mid-level which they've got a little under four million dollars left to chase buyout guys they also aren't even going to be able to, to stay under the tax they're not even going to be able to take on rest of season contracts yet any buyout guy that they get is according to albert namad they're going to have to wait to sign them. they're going to have to just do 10 days and skirt the roster minimum rules so that they don't go over the tax again they also got these issues with clint capella's incentives that could affect that but they're not going to be as appealing of a buyout destination if they're like oh yeah you know if you could just uh hold off and not play for a month and then we'll sign you that doesn't look good either and one of the most hilarious things kelly eco retweeted the video of tillman fertitta saying well you know if we're not a winner and we're in the tax that i need to find a new gm and i was like no that's not true because you'd be too cheap to pay a new gm and it's let's really just remarkable. let's just say that that clip might end up being a part of the the piece that I'm writing for the athletic. Oh yes. 
because uh, when Kelly and Kelly tweeted out, I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. And yeah, I mean, I Houston, it's I mean, especially given what's happened to Chris Paul, you know, like if he's not, may hopefully he gets back to you know physically over the course of this recovers and he looks more like the guy we saw in the first five games of the Western Conference Finals. And you could say that should that not be the case, then the Rockets were never going to be that team. But they lost out on a lot here, and it's also wild that Houston's navigation of the luxury tax partially depends on Clint Capella having these two unusual bonus things. One of them is his defensive rebound percentage, which might also depend on the NBA.com site changing their calculation of possessions. And then the other one being that there's a bonus related to making the Western Conference Finals, and Houston may or may not do that. Yeah, if them being in the tax or not depends on them making the Western Conference Finals, we we, we could see like Fertitta just like injuring players <laughs> before like the game seven. Well, the, well, you know, no, the, sto- the story there is that if if let's say that makes the difference, and hypothetically, you, you you guys, everybody who listens to this knows how crazy I can get with hypotheticals. Then you would want the four or the five seed because then you're facing the Warriors in the second round, and then <laughs> if you lose to the Warriors in the second round, so be it. And if you beat them, then you're willing to pay the tax because that's an awesome story. Should probably be willing to pay the tax to get Westbrook. Sorry, and, and I mean, all right, that that's obviously hyperbole. I don't. I think even he wouldn't be that ridiculous about it. But um, also related to this here, uh, Iki Anibogu, whose career never really got going with those those knee issues ended up getting waived by the Pacers that's in part to facilitate Wes Matthews going there which is huge that's a huge win for the Pacers big loss for some of these other contenders and it really the Pacers didn't have anything in terms of money to offer they used their full room exception on Kyle O'Quinn but they probably were able to offer a starting shooting guard spot that was vacated by Victor Oladipo and uh you know the Pacers won't have any kind of bird rights on Matthews he's going to get released by the Knicks DeAndre Jordan will not be released apparently uh perhaps in part to because of his friendship with kevin durant so that's a big win for the pacers you know west matthews is probably better than anyone they could have gotten on the trade market to fill that role and then they keep him out of you know i, I mean i think after some of these these moves that the rest of the east has made i wouldn't give the pacers a realistic chance of winning a first run series but they'll be better for this playoff run and maybe they could hope to, or, or this run into the playoffs i should say and then maybe they could hope to Resign Matthews. They will have plenty of cap space this summer, and so that could be something that they could look to do with Bogdanovich, Tyreek Evans becoming free agents uh, on the wing there, and of course uh, Baldwin and Sauskas were both waived as well. Um, where do you want to go next here, or, or did you well, have anything? Well, more before on that? before we move on from the Rockets, we'll talk about it hopefully later in the podcast if we remember. But I want to make sure to mention something that connects to the Rockets in a different way that you and I are doing, which we're really excited about, and that is the NBA cast on Friday. We are going to to be on Twitch doing a live broadcast with the video because because we are whitelisted, which is so awesome, of their G League team against the South Bay Lakers. So that's going to be a different experience for us. I don't think any of the guys involved in that got moved or affected by what happened at the deadline, but it's going to be so damn fun. Yeah, this is basically the number one thing that you could do to support our, our endeavors right now is just to watch this on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Nate Duncan NBA. It's going to be at 10 Eastern seven pacific just even throw it on even if you're not going to watch you're not interested in the g league because if you're a believer that there should be alternate commentary 
on broadcasts the nba is experimenting with that in the g league and so we are hopeful that we can be among the leaders of people who are doing alternate commentary and that eventually there'll be a chance that the nba would actually open up games to casters evan silver has made some positive comments about doing that that's why the g league is doing this experiment so if we can show that people are interested in this and want to watch it that would be amazing so uh, again i beseech you to just turn that on twitch.tv slash nba it's only going to be on twitch but there's no syncing issues because the video is is right there and we'll of course take your nba questions uh, as well talk a lot about the trade deadline uh, uh, plenty of other stuff in addition to uh, that g league game between the south bay lakers and the rio grande valley vipers let's do marco fultz now it is so appropriate that elton brand did a little bit of a brian colangelo tribute the guy who drafted marco fultz buying by involving a it's not necessarily a fake first round pick but a a different kind of first round pick in the trade finally involving marco fultz well it's also a tribute to a colangelo mistake which was trading this pick in the first place to get anjex patchniks if i say it faster maybe people won't notice that i'm getting it wrong <laughs> someone tweeted me today like hey you're gonna get a chance to say his name one more time and, and that was true but yeah i mean that that was a terrible trade at the time because it doesn't look like uh, Pachniks is ever going to play in the nba but that pick t- in 2020 from okc that's uh only goes if it's 21 to 30 and it's probably about a 50 percent chance that that pick ends up going as a first rounder next summer or it becomes okc 2022 and 2023 seconds and those picks actually could be pretty decent by that point in time with westbrook and george likely on the downside who knows where they'll be at that point in time they also picked up cleveland's 2019 second and Jonathan Simmons for Fultz. You know, I think in terms of the assets, this is not bad for Philly. Also opens up if Butler, Harris, or both were to leave over $9.7 million in cap space for next year. Simmons has one guaranteed, so I guess it would be $8.7 million for next year now. So that that's not... And also, if they re-sign all those guys, give them some room under the tax as well. Maybe allow them to use the full mid-level and or the BAE next year if they do re-sign all those guys. So getting off of the money from Fultz, I think it was important. My hope, though, was that as the only remaining big salary that they had to make a move, that Philly could get someone who would help a little more this year than Simmons. He does provide defensive value on the wing, but that 22% three-point shooting this year is just atrocious. That's really worrisome. Uh, he was he was better last year. He had a really nice playoffs in 2017 for the Sun or the Spurs rather. But so I, I think in terms of the assets they got, this was better than could have been expected for Fultz but maybe worse in terms of a player for this year than you would have hoped for. Terrence Ross, I guess, is going to stick around in Orlando. I probably would have rather had Ross than Simmons there. Ross is kind of the offensive version of Simmons where he can't guard anybody, but he's a really good shooter. Maybe Philly could be a Wayne Ellington destination. That low reported that. So a lot of this, we'll see what they end up getting in the buyout market. That's, this is another one of those ones where houston as well where we can't quite judge them until we see what ends up happening in the buyout market but i think this is a solid return for philly from their perspective for a guy who probably wasn't even going to play the rest of the year and was you know more likely than not to be negative salary on, on the rest of his deal and clearly had absolutely zero fit with this philly organization it is also a great example of why it's good to evaluate trades from both sides because while marco fultz had these negative elements including his salary 
salary for a team that is competing right now, a team that might be dealing with cap space or the tax next year with lofty expectations, Orlando is not in the same boat. And I really like this move from their perspective. The asset cost, you know, Jonathan Simmons wasn't doing anything for them. Not a, not a particularly big loss there. The late first round pick, if it conveys or, you know, maybe it becomes three seconds because the Cleveland second and the two OKC, if it converts, that is a cost. But Marco Fultz is a fabulous talent. If the thoracic outlet syndrome situation resolves in a way that he can look like anything like the player that Marco Fultz was when he was drafted back in 2017. I mean, I love Fultz. He was my favorite guy at the Hoop Summit in 2016. You have all those different elements in play. Orlando needed to take a gamble or two. Like, I don't think this precludes them taking a point guard in the draft, depending on where they end up picking or anything like that. So this is a worthy gamble for them. It's just that Fultz was out of the plans in Philadelphia and he can fit in better in Orlando. Yeah. And taking on Fultz's money for next year doesn't really hurt Orlando. They weren't likely to be a significant cap space player next year anyway. I mean, they could add like 20 million, but given how bad they are, if they re-sign Vucevic, that would pretty much all be vaporized um you know i think they for their minimal chances at making a a playoff run this year to be able to do this for simmons instead of ross is probably a win for them as well ross has been more valuable for them especially because they just desperately need offense so much here and the hope is that marco fultz without the pressure of being the number one overall pick without the pressure of having to contribute to a winning team without the pressure of having ben simmons who's nominally a point guard on the same team as him without the pressure of needing to be a good shooter to get minutes because of the fit issues now this orlando team you've got vucevic even if he can't be that good with the jump shot he can at least like do some positive things whereas with philly i mean he you just couldn't play him unless he could shoot so there won't be as much focus on the jump shot as well and you know maybe at least some of the other parts of his game can develop so and orlando was a very natural fit i mean probably the most natural fit for faults and i really hope that he can resurrect his career there i think this is a a good trade for both sides i like it a little bit better for orlando than philly just because i'm dubious that simmons is going to be able to help them as more than just a defensive specialist for a few minutes a game in the playoffs if that also orlando needs to be taking shots like this like it it, they don't have a lot of flexibility over the next couple years to get significantly better other than through the draft so might as well roll the dice now they have some some other questions in terms of their offseason now that they have kept vooch they have kept terrence ross they will now go into unrestricted free agency with both those guys Vooch obviously being the much larger figure considering he is a newly minted all-star and how Hammond and Weltman approach this offseason is going to be you know it's a huge kind of decision point for them especially if the contract that Vooch wants from them ends up being a negative value you know if he wants a lot of money but he might not have the leverage to pull that off we'll talk more about that later but it's a part of their deadline because he wasn't moved where do you want to go next we've gone this far without talking about Scal so we might as well do that I mean <laughs> So the Kings traded Scal to the Blazers for Caleb Swanigan. This is basically, you know, two teams trading guys that haven't been playing for each other. It is worth noting that Caleb Swanigan has an extra year on his contract. Scal is, you know, so Scal is guaranteed. Both guys are guaranteed for next year at pretty similar money. But then after that, Caleb Swanigan has that fourth year team option, which they have to, now the Kings have to decide on next October. That will be worth $3.7 million, and Scal would be will be a restricted free agent after next year. 
it would be nice if Scal actually gets an opportunity to play. I am a believer in his potential, but he is pretty thoroughly buried now on on Portland because Zach Collins and Yusuf Nurkic are obviously well above him, but he wasn't playing in sack anyway. And I have no earthly idea where and how Caleb Swanigan fits in on the Kings. And I don't understand why the Kings would do this other than just, I, mean, I think Scal is clearly a better prospect than Swanigan. Maybe the Kings feel like he could, I mean, he can't fit next to any of the guys who are there really. Maybe this is just kind of doing Scal a solid so he can go play somewhere. But yeah, I, I don't really get the point of this for the Kings to get another big man. I mean, if you want to swap Scal for even, you know, someone, an end of the roster guard, you know, since Wade Baldwin was available for Portland, I mean, you know, this didn't come together until later, but, you know, a trade for someone like a Wade Baldwin for Scal would have made more sense to me at just even at the slightest flyer as a guard or wing instead of just, you know, throwing another big in and a big who really doesn't fit at all in the modern NBA, whereas Scal, you could see it as, as a small ball center. So hopefully he'll get a chance at Portland. Portland has had success in bringing guys in, you know, Napier, Harkless, from other teams who perhaps unjustly weren't getting as much of a chance. Not to say that I think that Sacramento necessarily should have been playing him because I think the guys they have above him are superior and fit in their long-term plans a little more. And maybe if Myers Leonard gets moved this summer, they'll have Scal for next summer. He could get some minutes. Terry Stotts has not been afraid to play two bigs together off the bench. In particular, Collins and Leonard will, will play together a, a fair amount. So maybe Scal uh, can get some shots here. Another one that was a little bit of a head to me i really just don't quite understand was the grizzlies trading shelvin mack to atlanta for tyler dorsey dorsey pretty much no defense but has shown a little bit as far as a, a shooter and, and a microwave score type but wasn't going to play at all in atlanta with Trey Young and Herter and all the other guys they had there. I had posited that maybe just getting Mac as a backup point guard could be a precursor to a possible Jeremy Lin deal, or maybe even just a Jeremy Lin buyout later on and the Hawks have been more competitive. So just to have something at backup point guard other than Jalen Adams who obviously is uh, not an experienced NBA player. Maybe that was the, the thinking here, but it, this uh, was a little bit of a head-scratcher to me. It does also reunite former college teammates, Tyler Dorsey and Dylan Brooks, but Dylan Brooks is not playing for the rest of this year, so it's not that big a reunion. And I like the idea of Dorsey on the Grizzlies just because they get a chance to evaluate him, and he's a restricted free agent. They can make him a qualifying offer. They cannot, wherever they want to go with that, not that big a deal for Memphis either way. It looks like because of the injuries including to his former college teammate, that Dorsey might get some minutes, especially if Memphis kind of turns into another one of those, you know, see, see who can stick if they end up shutting down Mike Conley for a little while, all those sorts of things. They'll have, they might have more playing time and might as well get somebody who could be a part of your future as opposed to somebody who pretty clearly was not. So from Memphis's perspective, totally fine with it. And then the other boss, sorry, the other Atlanta move involves Boston and that is they acquired troubled guard Jabari Bird, who has been dealing with this legal situation that has not resolved really in any way, shape, or form that we've seen so far. They are going to waive him, and I haven't even really heard what the compensation was. I'm guessing it was cash, just because... Yeah, yeah it was cash. That it was, was cash, was so yeah. yeah, it probably wasn't going to be a second-round pick. And this is notable from Boston's perspective because it clears a roster spot, to, but does not get them underneath the luxury tax line. So we had discussed that there might be value that with the repeater tax also there's now more uncertainty with boston spending long term depending on who goes there and all that kind of stuff but they still have though it's prorated their mid-level exception they did not use it so theoretically they could offer a ton of money to somebody in a buyout and it raises their tax bill but it doesn't push them into the tax so that might change the decision making of ownership in danny age 
Yeah, interestingly, Boston maybe could have gotten under the tax, but they would have had to have found a taker for Gershon Yabasele's $2.7 million and $3.1 million next year. They are $1.7 million over the tax now. So they saved some money, but yeah, getting under seems very unlikely unless they were to just wave Yabasele and have somebody claim him. But yeah, that was a massive mistake, certainly. Uh, Picking up Yabusele's option for next year seems very unlikely he's ever going to contribute for them. Uh, there are a couple other pieces of buyout news that have happened while we've been recording, which I can mention. Oh, yeah. Chris Vivlamore of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is reporting that by a league source that the Hawks have no plans to buy out any veterans still on their roster. So... Yeah, maybe they're just... Th- so encouraged by how well they've been playing lately that they want to just continue and having bird rights on those here. guys maybe they have yeah. have an interest in that they'll have them on roster theoretically i i guess maybe they could sign and trade them though there are obviously major limitations there especially with so much cap space around the league also the knicks have formally waived ennis canner i have no idea who is going to pick him up i feel like the team that picks him up might be making a mistake because if it's a playoff team ennis canner doesn't really fit that i mean can't play him is something that became a running joke on dunked on for a very specific <laughs> reason and also john gabadoro has it that the wayne ellington waiver is going through today and like with west matthews the story for me with wayne ellington is going to be what does he prioritize because he's going to have some offers from very good teams he could have some more lucrative offers maybe i mean i don't know exactly where it's going to be but what he prioritizes championship contenders playing time money will be significant because he's one of the best players now in the buyout market yeah okay see rumored to be a destination there philly where he's from rumored to to be a destination there so we'll have plenty of time to parse down the buyout market a little later we'll see how much money these teams are able to get from these players in the buyouts as well it's mostly at this point the only advantage is just saving some cash do you want to cover a few little bases before we do winners and losers or do you want to do that and then clean up the clean up the extra stuff no yeah let's let's cover those what else we got to deal with here so that's all the trades but some great news out of brooklyn that karis lavert will be available on friday to play for the nets it's fantastic we had that woes report from a few days ago that they expected he might be back before the all-star break and i was skeptical i'm so happy i mean was a wonderful story for the nets they're dealing with spencer dinwiddie being out and they're competing for the playoffs so great that he will be back and i'm, I'm just really happy yeah and also memphis waving omri caspery they'll go down to 14 players now we'll start <laughs> presumably running some guys in and out to just uh you know try out for their team uh, essentially sure. uh, anything else we had to do before we hit winners and losers yes I had not heard this before, and it blew my blanking mind that Casey Johnson mentioned that the Bulls offered Bobby Portis a 40 to $50 million extension last fall that he turned down, and word around the league is that Bobby Portis is looking for $16 million a year as a restricted free agent. Well, he better start looking under his mattress if that's the case. Yeah, I actually yelled, audibly yelled when I saw that, when I saw that tweet, because that's a very, my instinct is that's probably bad advice from his agent, because that money isn't out there for guys that have proven themselves a lot more than than bobby portis has so you get life you have the opportunity to take life-changing money and he had a connection it sounds like with the organization i think that's it could end up being a very big mistake kind of have a little i i think he'll get a better offer than this but you know like there's so many guys that you know, they have these big big visions and maybe need a better voice in their ear and i mean we might as well well oh two other things so um john canzano of the oregonian 
had a piece that came out after the deadline, not related to the deadline, that city officials in Portland in contact with the Trailblazers expect that they expect the Trailblazers to be sold eventually. That is not necessarily sold like right now, but over the next couple of years, it is worth noting that the Blazers lease with Portland runs through 2025 and has been described as ironclad through at least 2023. But the question of who's going to own the team, ownership is the biggest competitive advantage. Going from Paul Allen is significant and, you know, it's, it's a, uh, something that will affect the league that we don't know exactly how it will just yet. Yeah, and while Allen, every once in a while, there would be thoughts that, you know, the people from Vulcan were kind of messing things up there and, and that he was a little too aggressive with the spending. There's always talk that some of their summer of 2016 moves where they really overspent for some mediocre guys were driven by his edicts to some degree. I mean, he was an excellent owner. He kept the Blazers in Portland. He owned the team since 1988, was always willing to spend and who Whoever that ends up being the new owner, I mean, it's just because Allen was good is likely to be a downgrade. Hopefully, it's not an Alexander to Fertitta type of downgrade. All right, winners and losers here. Give me a winner. The Los Angeles Clippers. They were able to get premium value for Tobias Harris, somebody that it doesn't sound like was necessarily in their long-term plans. They also picked up a flyer on Zubach for absolutely nothing, a guy that they could, if they have their big dreams happen in the summer, they could retain and they could just retain him anyway. I think he's a good player. I'm excited to see him fit in there. And if they want to compete for the playoffs, I think they did addition by subtraction and addition in the Memphis trade where they got rid of Avery Bradley, who was a negative player, got in Garrett Temple, who was a better fit, and Jermichael Green can help, especially because Mbob Mute has basically missed this entire year. So I don't think they got better, you know, I th- but I think they got a lot of assets that could be really useful. And, you know, Anthony Davis not moving, I think it doesn't necessarily help them because they're going to acquire Anthony Davis, but he's not on the Lakers now. So maybe that gives them a little bit more shine or something else like that. But I think in terms of what it took, what they got versus what they gave up, this was an amazing trade deadline for the Clippers. Yeah, I mean, and then to get Green and Temple basically for nothing is pretty good. Those guys are, are going to play for them. And we'll see whether it's a good idea. I, mean, I kind of like the idea of them just missing the playoffs and keeping their pick. But making the playoffs isn't all bad either. That makes them a little more attractive in theory to free agents. So they're still in the mix there. We'll see if the Lakers can get it back together psychologically here. We may discuss them slightly here. Uh, so yeah, Clippers, big winner for sure. Milwaukee got a lot better by getting Nikola Miritich it didn't get worse on the floor this year those second rounders that they could even look to re-sign Miritich as well he gives them some insurance potentially with his bird rights if some of their guys leave and he, he fits in pretty well with what they're trying to do Toronto I would say has to be in there I mean they, they got Gasol they didn't have to give up a first rounder they their depth is a little compromised so I'll give them a slight incomplete when we see if they can get a little bit more at, at point guard and center but Wright was probably someone with their task concerns that they're unlikely to resign if everything went according to plan and now they're even better positioned to move in a different direction if Kawhi doesn't stick around or if he does maybe Gasol opts in as well and they found someone who can guard Joel Embiid really well. So I, I'm uh, I'm high on that. I mean, they didn't really have to give up too much here. It was basically just right that they gave up, and they got off of a bunch of salary. Another category of teams that, that I would say just in general, any team in the West that kind of had their team already. So I'd put OKC in that category, Denver, San Antonio, anybody I'm forgetting there? The Golden State Warriors? Yeah, I mean, they weren't going to be threatened by any of these teams anyway, likely. But Yeah, well, I mean, the fact that nobody 
did a, an earthquake shaking move is is beneficial yeah. to them. And the Lakers not getting AD is probably is good for the, the Warriors. I would say so. Um, I think Orlando did well to yeah. to get Fultz just to get some player on the perimeter with some upside, even if Fultz only has a ten percent chance of really working out. That's still something. It's more than they had, frankly, and they didn't really have to give up uh, anything too valuable to get that. That's it to me as far as clear winners. Are there any I have one clear more winners you would have for me the New York Knicks. And oh yeah yeah uh, well i i, I have them I, in my maybe I'm go- pile i'm gonna have them in my clear wins because of the picks they got in the in the dallas deal yeah they'll look like idiots if they don't get two max players but the value i mean the mavericks paid premium value for Kristaps porzingis though we're still not not sure not really the acl but just all of his other injuries he's a large human being those sorts those elements are in play so i'm you can have them in your in your maybes but i'm gonna have them in my winners because they were able to get off bad money without giving up assets they instead got assets in return dennis smith is a fascinating piece he's going to put up numbers for them and they could even you know they can move him for something if they end up getting kyrie irving or they could keep him as their backup point guard which is what i would recommend depending on what offers are there i think they've set themselves up well it's they are less clear of a winner than some of the other teams we've discussed but i have them unambiguously in this group yeah i i, I think it's if Porzingis just absolutely kills for the Mavs, like, it, there's enough variability that I wasn't able to call them clear winners at, at this point. And, and of course, there's variability for all of these. But yeah, I mean, I like that trade better for New York than for Dallas. Although Dallas's subsequent moves uh, had me put them in the maybe pile as well, because getting that that cap space, getting off of Barnes for this summer, and being able to add while well, you can use the small capitals of Porzingis, Kleba, and Dorian Finney-Smith, I, I think could be useful to get that third piece, who may be an overpaid third piece, but you know is still going to be a very quality player, you would think, or some multiple guys that that they could bring in for depth. So I, I have Dallas in the maybe pile right now. They look a lot better to me after the Barnes trade. Knicks would, you know, I I mean, I agree with everything you said. Maybe I, I have them right on the borderline, but I still think it was a pretty good asset play for a guy who didn't want to be there. Granted, that was the Knicks' own fault, but whatever, that was the situation we're evaluating this trade deadline, not the last five years. So yeah, I, I would tentatively put the Knicks in the winner pile, but if they end up, you know, maxing out Kemba Walker and Tobias Harris this offseason with their cap space, then, you know, you can maybe revise that. Another one in the maybe pile for me, Philly. They did move Fultz, didn't get much back to help them this year. A lot depends to me on the buyout market, what they can do to fill in their depth. They're going to be a lot better this year, but Toronto got a lot better as well, and so did Milwaukee. You know, this wasn't the only, they weren't the only team that made an upgrade, and you can argue that while Harris is probably a a superior player to Miritich and a superior player to Gasol, when you compare the price that they paid to get Harris versus what the price was for Miritich, I mean, I sure as hell would have rather just paid the price that Milwaukee paid for Miritich than the price they paid for Harris, who they can re-sign Miritich in theory for a lot cheaper and I think Miritich provides almost as much offensive value for a team like the Sixers which has other creators already I think Harris is a little bit better defensively in terms of a one-on-one guy Miritich might actually be a better help defender definitely not as good of a switch guy as Harris would be with some of their other perimeter players so yeah but I mean comparing that price is just remarkable to me I mean I, I would I can't put Philly in the losers category yet because you know it's possible that this Harris move puts them over the top and they win the East this year like that's not impossible and then you know I'd look like an idiot for saying that they're a loser, but I I am more skeptical of this and 
and or if they don't resign Harris they can't resign Butler if those contracts get bloated as well I mean there's a lot of risk for Philly whereas these other teams Toronto Milwaukee they upgraded with very minimal risk to me yeah I I would agree with that a team that I would have in the I've tried to figure out if they're I I guess they're in the in that middle ground would be the Washington Wizards the Wizards did something I really liked and even though it looks like uh, Grunfeld admitted to uh, he admitted to NBC that the John Wall news changed the direction of the franchise and I think that pushed them in the correct direction I'm I'm and I'm not the biggest Otto Porter believer I think that getting out of his contract and you know taking a flyer on Bobby Portis they might end up overpaying Portis or overpaying Jabari Parker that's a possibility but why they're not more firmly in it is one you know Otto Porter was is a talented player he's slightly overpaid but not intensely and because if you're going that direction you might as well go whole hog and maybe they think they're going to re-sign Trevor Reza I guess maybe there's some value there but also Jeff Green I mean maybe maybe they could have gotten something small for him they do not have any additional flexibility he signed a one-year minimum contract they can give him 120 percent of the minimum hey big spender like that's the the big thing that they can offer him and I'm guessing Jeff Green won't be super enthused about spending the rest of this year on the Wizards who are maybe still on the fringes of playoff contention but probably not he is at least from there so that might be part of it too of why they think they can re-sign him and Ariza is supposedly enthusiastic about re-signing but do you want to just start writing your athletic column now for next year's trade deadline about how what the Bradley Beal moves are going to be and how they should have traded him a year ago when they could have got way more for him yeah I could probably write that because they're not going to make a move during the summer I doubt like that's that's not really Grunfeld's MO I could be wrong but I think they're going to do this optimism maybe maybe that's re-signing Sadoransky or whatever else they're going to they're going to give it a try and then Bradley Beal is going to be a year and a half away instead of getting three playoffs for him you'll get two playoffs and a bit of a season and the return will be a lot lower another fascinating maybe to me is the Boston Celtics here did not upgrade we didn't expect them to didn't really need to frankly with some of the guys who, who were available but their three chief rivals in the east all got very significant upgrades but Anthony Davis didn't get traded they are now in the driver's seat to acquire Anthony Davis this offseason unless they lose in the second round because these other teams upgraded and then Kyrie Irving wants to leave and there's no realistic way that Anthony Davis is going to resign there and then they lose out regardless and they kind of go into i mean if not a rebuild a building phase again without any true superstars maybe al horford could leave too i mean that's there's they are just in such flux right now and you would think that a lot of it depends on how they do in the playoffs and so while their upside got larger this summer with ad not being traded yet and they would seem to be in the driver's seat in terms of just the assets they have available to acquire him there's also a lot of risk if they lose 4-1 in the second round, and Zach was saying this yesterday uh, on his show, or I, I can't remember when he was saying it, but and I agree with him, there's just they could look so bad ad might not want to go there Kyrie might not stay horford might not stay and they could be really starting over with gordon hayward and those young guys and you know still some good assets going forward so yeah i mean good news and bad news for boston at this trade deadline what has to be so scary to danny ainge in their front office is that a lot of it is outside of their control i mean Kyrie irving can dictate what happens here because if he says to them and and this is also broadly true for new orleans with with how much what Boston offers here if Kyrie Irving tells 
the Celtics, I'm gone no matter what, then they're, I mean, they could still make an Anthony Davis trade just because Anthony Davis is so yeah. damn good. And maybe maybe they would try to trade for another star as well. Yeah, yeah. They, they could they could go that approach, but I would guess that the asking price would, that it would go down. But if Kyrie Irving says, the only way I'm staying is if you guys acquire, like, agree to terms on Anthony Davis before July 1st, then he he can say that, whether, whether or not they believe it is a credible threat, they can do that. And so that has to be just so agonizing because the quality of their offer changes dramatically also now it waiting while that is good because now he's on the market who knows what happens with the first overall pick maybe another team comes into the mix there but that's also why the lakers are i would say a loser right now just because there's so much more volatility really you think that you think they're a loser possibly well i mean other than that asinine zubach trade i mean this is when they were going to get 80 they're not going to get him this summer i mean well i mean well no i think i think they could i mean they they have they could throw in a lot of they could throw in a lot of picks like they could you know there are ways that it can happen especially yeah Yeah, i I shouldn't have been so adamant you're right yeah there are ways but the expectation could be even though there isn't much of a way that their offer could get better that the demands are probably going to be sky high and they're going to have more more on the table then because also other teams with cap space and everything else will have a clear idea of where Anthony Davis fits in and it's very possible that the Torontos and the Denvers of the world just weren't really in the right place but maybe Denver if they have a disappointing maybe they get knocked out in the first round they say screw it like let's let's see what we can do with Anthony Davis like there could be a team or two like that in different conferences that just say fine and that helps New Orleans because it's just more suitors and different flavors of offers they can pit those teams against each other and also because now this is a gap a formal gap year for lebron james and the lakers they are not a viable threat for the western conference championship i, I don't know why i phrased it that way for the nba championship they're just not at that level and there isn't a way for them to get there even with great buyout guys they're not going to be good enough to compete with the warriors and maybe they can with the other teams in the conference like they can get in that mix and it'll depend on matchup so how does lebron feel about that how do their young guys feel about being dangled but not dealt how do do potential free agents feel about going onto a team with all of the drama? Like you, if, if you're Jimmy Butler or Kyrie, theoretically, if you were interested in the Lakers, see all the crap that these guys have had to deal with all year and nothing ended up really happening. That might be a, a, a something that they think about when they're going after free agency. And somebody will probably, you know, maybe somebody will still sign there, but that sales pitch is getting more fraught. Yeah, I mean, the whole AD situation would be fascinating going into the summer. And you could see maybe the Lakers have a really good playoff run. I mean, there's before LeBron got hurt, I actually thought that they were my most likely team, although there's a ton of teams in this mix. So it's not like I'm saying it's 50% or higher, that if the bracket fell right to get to the Western Conference Finals still, because they had LeBron. Now LeBron has been injured. They've had all these chemistry issues. We'll see what they got in the buyout market as well. And then for Boston's standpoint, for AD too, if Kyrie isn't going to return, no way they put Tatum into that deal and that was always their trump card to get ad you can't give up tatum at that point because you just got to kind of build for three four years from now probably instead if Kyrie ends up leaving and if tatum isn't in the deal i still think they probably could construct the best offer but you know if jalen brown doesn't play well in the playoffs and some of those lakers guys do or whatever there's you know there's a lot of variability there obviously uh i would say that memphis and utah were both losers that was such a natural fit 
for me as far as that Conley trade getting done I don't know why it didn't maybe they wanted a second first round pick I don't think that Memphis is going to get more for him in the summer I mean he's is he going to keep playing he could easily get hurt he's going to be a year older he doesn't have as many I mean mean, this playoffs was going to be the best he was ever going to be so I don't know that I see them getting more there was a report he didn't want to be in Utah then he pushed back on that publicly today who knows where to believe there maybe Memphis just didn't want to send him to Utah because he's been such a, a loyal soldier to the team but Utah I think this was a and you can say this for so many other Western Conference teams as well and KP had this that the top seven teams in the West added three players of the last week Shumpert Hood and Scal <laughs> like not exactly a murderer's row well, there one one future hall of famer among the three but that's a little bit different yeah. well and, and but what do you think about how closely bunched together all those teams were maybe the right move could have pushed one of those teams into been the move that pushed one of those teams into the western conference finals to get completely steamrolled by the warriors and utah i think really could have used conley whether it was not throwing in dante exum whether it was not throwing in the second round pick, the second first round pick i don't know if i would have put in the second first round pick necessarily if i were Utah but it really seemed like that was a deal that should have gotten done Detroit's another team that was apparently looking to upgrade and said they just basically got worse for this year as they're ostensibly trying to make the playoffs Charlotte another team that was looking to upgrade not being able to get the Gasol deal done and get off that money seems like a a loser although maybe it's just Memphis they were just too scared of giving up the first round pick with where their team is which I I would understand that I mean I think maybe I take it back on Charlotte in the sense that chasing the eighth seed wasn't really that worthwhile I mean that's their they they would have lost they would have lost out by making a mistake like yeah that that I think that's a a fair conclusion another just strange part of the deadline is the teams at the bottom of the east playoff picture getting worse so Detroit lost a couple of their wings Miami traded away Tyler Johnson largely for salary relief not, the magic. not being able to get out of the tax was probably a disappointment for miami you would say yeah albert nabod was laying out the the pathway that they might do you know with with oh, with yeah. olinix olinix losing his option i think there's like one other thing and that's it's great if yeah yeah uh, albert, moving, losing his incentive you mean losing his yeah his, his bonus yeah his bonus incentives and orlando getting markel i don't we don't know how much he's going to play this year but you know he, he might even even thoracic outlet syndrome markel volts is i would probably rather have him than than grant playing right now i just don't like grant and so yeah all those teams kind of getting worse i think that's kind of the right approach if you're going for you know if if, if what you're looking at is the the eight the seven or eight seed in this eastern conference you're going to get absolutely trucked by the teams in the top four seeds i would also say in an unusual way that san antonio is a winner despite doing absolutely nothing just because nobody pushed nobody oh i missed that nobody pushed past them and the other winner that i want to discuss is everybody who's going to enjoy the second and third rounds of the Eastern Conference playoffs. Oh, baby. It is going to be so awesome. NBA cast is going to be in full force for it. All of those series. The first round is probably going to suck. But the second round and the third round, not only because of the quality of the teams, but the absolutely bananas stakes involved for all four of those franchises is going to be amazing. Yeah, I can't wait for that. I mean, I think probably teams two through five in the NBA are now pretty clearly to me in the Eastern Conference. We'll see how Philly in particular meshes to join that group. And Boston, I I guess you can talk about that too. Atlanta seems like a loser right now to not get anything again. I mean, both Atlanta and 
Memphis don't seem to be very good at this whole having useful expiring contract players and actually trading them for any kind of value at all but I understand it a little more from Atlanta's perspective they're a feel-good story right now they're playing well you don't necessarily want to disrupt that by moving these guys for piddling returns but Bazemore, Deadman, Lynn still being on the team is certainly an upset. But if they're really, you know, if it was just bad seconds that were out there for those guys, I understand them holding on to them because they do, to me, have some value and could potentially re-sign those guys as well as they maybe move into a little bit more of a stage where they're potentially trying to win games. And with the bottom of the East so shitty, it's not completely insane that they could be back in the playoffs next year with some moves this offseason and maybe, you know, taking on bad money for next year became a little bit less palatable for that reason houston talked about why with them just overall in this season just to be focused more on cost cutting than improving and portland is i think a big loser as well i think they really needed to make an upgrade to be a favorite to get out of the first round miritich we mentioned is someone that they could pursue just getting some more three and d wing help there are guys like that like the temple who were available but i mean i think it's really their bad salary coming back to kick him in the nuts again to where they just didn't have any kind of matching salary they could send out other than for hood you know who was a really you know that might have been the best they could do even if they attached a first round pick to some of their bad salary maybe they still couldn't get enough of an upgrade to make it worth it but that's that's a disappointment portland also might have an understated opportunity cost to not making a move because we've seen in the very recent past and in the in the last couple of years that if players are unhappy where they are they are exerting their agency a lot more they are making that vocal and it is distinctly possible that one of the earthquakes that happens in the 2019 offseason is Damian Lillard or CJ McCollum basically saying I'm not going to resign here there's ownership and organization instability in Portland that is something that we that we need to be thinking about because if they're looking at this going great you know other not that the west you know those teams loaded up to improve but we're kind of trapped here we're still going to be trapped here in terms of being a like a lower tier western conference team and that doesn't guarantee that either or both guys will get moved but should they want that it affects the process for everybody else yeah dame would seem the more likely of those two uh, to me uh, but he signed a deal with no options i mean he could be doing the anthony davis right now but instead he signed for the full five years bulls we talked about uh, my reservations about the porter deal yesterday and they're not picking a direction although at least those comments today were encouraging that chris dunn is not necessarily fait accompli a member of their core wolves we didn't expect them to do anything but they probably should have with some of their expiring contracts but again i think there ultimately weren't that many buyers for those expiring contracts again if, unless they were willing to take back money so maybe that just wasn't possible and i think that's it watch uh the nba cast you writing anything here you got to be right oh yeah i'm figuring out what i have time for before the deadline happened i wrote the first half of what was going to be a piece about how the rockets duck the tax in future years now i get to frame it in terms of how they've ducked it for a cohesive period of time and probably end up roasting Tillman for a little bit which is deserved and i want that to become a, a larger story and thankfully the athletic will give me the opportunity to do it also might end up writing on auto porter and a few other things but the nba cast is going to take precedence and also there will be a new real jam radio in the next two days i don't know exactly when it's going to be released and since i can say this without saying who it's going to be i wanted to talk with people who cover some of the most active and fascinating teams at the trade deadline so it's going to be a series of shorter interviews rather than a full episode with one guest all right we'll be back on sunday night we'll see what the buyout market has started to become and we'll talk to you at that point till then at bet 365 we don't do ordinary 
We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.